All right. Three. One, two, and clap. <laughs> We're terrible at that. <laughs> okay. We're whatever. terrible at that. <sighs> okay. So, um, just quickly, well, not maybe not even quickly, typical Kevin spiel. Uh, have you tried out Twitter's new show me the most recent tweet versus the algorithm, the, kind of the toggle? No, but I heard that referenced on the podcast today, the Joe Rogan experience. Um, but no, I, I don't really look at. So do you have to be on Twitter.com for that or? Maybe because I actually stopped using the app. So when I get a lot of anxiety from social media, which I recently disclosed to you today that it gives me a lot of anxiety, social media, that is, I sometimes just delete Twitter, even though I have like four accounts set up, you know, Bob and Kevin show um, various ones, my personal one. And it's a pain in the butt to switch between them when you're on a mobile browser. But I actually like the fact that it is a pain in the butt because it means I don't check it as often. So the long answer to your short question is, yes, I'm using it on Twitter.com, and that's how I'm toggling. Yeah, so I don't really use Twitter.com that much. I use TweetDeck or the app on my phone. I wonder if that timeline switcheroo thing is capable on. How did you do that, by the way? Uh, for those of you who can't see at home because we're not a video show anymore, Kevin changed his camera angle, so I'm not looking down oh. at his fingers. Did you just open your laptop more? Yeah, I just pushed the lid. Yeah, total, ah. total uh, normal magic, Bob. I use magic. That's what total I Total life hack. Well, I thought maybe you had a different setup. That's all. No. Um, so there's that. And then you brought up JRE today, the Joe Rogan experience for all you lay people out there. Um, did you watch the full um, Jack Dorsey plus lawyer plus uh, Tim Pool plus Joe today? I didn't watch it. I listened to it. Um, the TV is behind me, so I don't normally get to watch it. Uh, that's kind of just for when I need a distraction. So I was actually listening to the podcast audio this morning or today throughout the day, not not watching the YouTube-ness. I, I actually did three today. Uh, so it was a three-hour podcast with Jack Dorsey, part two, the, the hard-hitting version. So I actually watched part of it on YouTube, went mobile when I had to hit the drive through at Arby's. So I uh, switched over to the Joe Rogan website you know, at a certain timestamp. And then I used my podcatcher Chrome extension. So I was all over the place because it was a really long pod, but it was total must-watch slash listen potting right so does that turn into three listens then probably nice. i mean i mean i'm sure facebook would be like no i got this it was one <laughs> but uh, you know uh as far as the normal i think point of view would be probably but whatever what's my three to... individual listens to two million you know youtube hits hey it puts more money in his pocket um yeah i was it was definitely must listen, watch. It was way, way, way better than the first one for anybody who caught the first one. Um, Jack was by himself in the first one. And I don't think Joe felt comfortable going at him. And uh, I think he caught a bunch of heat for that because it wasn't Joe's typical behavior in a long format. And 
I think they both decided that they would make it a little bit more real this time. But then, of course, Jack came with his lawyer. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it was a great episode. Um, it was contentious. I think Tim, and I, I don't know Tim's background, and for those who didn't watch, Tim is a, uh, a recurring guest uh, for, for Joe. But I thought he came pretty hard with the two-handed slam dunk every now and then on on stuff. And he sounded very articulate. At times, he was very kind of, you know you know, amped up, but I, I thought I brought some really good points and I thought the, uh, the Twitter folks didn't freak out. They handled it well, but I also think they gave a lot of non answers. And I also think they, they can't possibly have an answer to some of this, right? Yeah. They, they touched on this a lot. Just the fact that, you know, literally there's millions, if not, I don't remember, did they use a B? There's literally hundreds of millions of users. um, And there's just no way to keep tabs on all of them. The part that I found most interesting, though, is that they they really got taken to task by Tim and a little bit of Joe um, about how the perception that if you have a right-leaning view on Twitter, you are far more apt to reap the wrath of their censorship practices than possibly more liberal and left-leaning views, which I thought was interesting. And, and I thought that the lawyer handled it really well by really kind of saying oftentimes it was just kind of a one-sided perspective. But I also did come away thinking that getting a feeling that perhaps they do give liberal views a little bit of a pass. What say you to steal your phrase? Um, <laughs> yeah, so you owe, you owe me a quarter for using my catchphrase yes. unlicensed. Um, uh, I will I will send you a cease and desist if you don't. Um, so uh, I, I found two things during the whole thing that were kind of interesting. One was they said they've done research where liberal people on Twitter are more, more likely to stay and only follow liberal people, whereas conservative people are more likely to follow everybody which I thought was kind of an interesting thing. I would have assumed they follow more, you know, conservative people follow conservative people, liberal people follow liberal. How they label liberals versus conservative is kind of an interesting thing they obviously didn't touch on. Well, you know, how do we how do we keep score who's who? And are they keeping score? Hmm. It you sounds know, like they might that. be for sure. And then the other one is is I think Joe said it where he's pretty much like never in the history of man have we had this level of free speech on this global scale and we should acknowledge the fact that this is hard and there is no playbook i'm paraphrasing here and um then i jump in with my thought and go hmm if humans can't figure this out how how the hell do we think because it we seem to have this trajectory of we think, well, AI will figure this out, guys. AI will provide these content filters. All will be solved. We just need to develop machine language and and whatnot, um, you know, and, and it'll all just figure out. But humans can't even get this figured out because they tie themselves in all these logic knots with the gender thing. And, and Tim kept hitting on this you know, misgendering, and I don't even know what misgendering was. Well, apparently, though, that's one of their low-hanging fruit to ban people or to um, put them on a, a temporary banning uh, suspension, suspending accounts. 
that if you intentionally misgender someone, so, um, you know, person X, you know, is identifying with gender Y, but might not look like the gender that they're identifying with. And then if you intentionally refer to them as gender X, then that is aggressive behavior and you can apparently be suspended for that. So yeah, that was really interesting as well. I don't know if the lawyer was grokking that concept or she was actively trying to be coy and kind of work around the obvious logic problem there. Because you have, if you have a bunch of people like conservatives who, based for lack of better reasoning, they're like a man's a man, a woman's a woman. I mean, that's, you know, their thing. And that's totally not irrational, you know. And if you want to think that, you can get banned for that. And then the lawyer kept saying, well, you know, we, 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 and then Jack too, sorry, I've got a dog scratching her cage here. Uh, the lawyer and Jack were both pretty much said, well, we want to have a platform that, that gives opportunity for most people to be on our platform. But I think what gets lost in that is, well, in order to protect group A, you're kind of infringing on group B. And aren't you by gaining, giving support to one group, pushing people off the platform. I mean, it's almost like a zero-sum game. In order to keep these people on here, we're going to push these people off. And I don't know that the people at Twitter are acknowledging that. And Tim's point was, well, wait, if we start down this path, it's a really slippery slope. If you protect this group over here, you're infringing at least on... It's like a jigsaw puzzle. Nothing happens here in a vacuum by... I hope I'm making some sense. What do you think? Right. And they started to bridge into the ideas like, should any corporation be determining? They actually, it, crazily enough, because we talked about this on the last episode, was, you know, who controls the truth? Who owns the truth? Who dictates the truth? And, you know, they started to to explore some of that, that, you know, and I think the Twitter people even said they don't want to be responsible for determining what the truth is. But if you're banning people or, you know, suspending them, then aren't you kind of controlling the dialogue, which then in turn creates the truth? When you have a child, you don't get the option to say, hey, I I don't want to be responsible for this kid. Too late. (laughs) You are. This is your platform. And this is an inherent thing. So I, I, I realize that they didn't sign up for this, but it is what it is at this point. You are. uh, And to Tim's point, You've created a platform so powerful that's so influential. When you kick somebody off of this discourse platform, then you are shaping the narrative in some way. So your policy, even though you don't think it's a big deal or you think you're helping this group over here, you're still shaping that narrative um, in the grand scheme of things because, as we've talked in previous shows tech companies kind of have these monopolies. We have one real uh, video sharing service, YouTube. We have one real Twitter-like service. It's Twitter. We have one, I'm going to eat the world um, and share uh, soccer mom photo service, Facebook, and then advertise the value. I mean, there's there's certain islands here, and if, if they kick you off there, where do you go? Yeah, and they're also funny because they even, you know, a couple times today when challenged, Twitter was like, no, we're not the only... You know, and so then Tim would have to, you know, kind of take a step back and say, no, but you are the most dominant in this platform arena. But, you know, the, of course, legally, they're like, no, we don't. We're, it's not a monopoly. No, we're not the only, you know, game in town. And but really, in effect, they kind of are. Yeah, 
at some point you got to look at Zuckerberg, Dorsey at all and say, I, I get that you want to kind of play this. Well, we're learning. We're trying we're trying to self-improve and whatnot. But we've heard that song and dance for a long time. I would rather they just say, you know what? Yeah, this is this is hard. Um, and it's never going to be perfect. Well, I guess I guess they did say that a little bit today. Yeah, I was going to say <laughs> they, they did kind of come around to that for sure. But I also want them to acknowledge that by helping one group, you're hurting another. And I think they they kind of put they don't say that they say, well, we want to help group X. Well, yeah, you are helping group X, but you're hurting group Y in the same exact breath. And it's unfair. And then Tim was trying to say, and I think Tim's liberal, right? And Joe's conservative. So I, was, I, I no, don't think Joe is the, not conservative. Joe is not conservative. Oh my gosh, I get it wrong. Okay, so they're both liberal. So, uh, well, I think in the pure sense of the word, um, Joe is very liberal. Um, pretty much takes a liberal view on everything but the Second Amendment. Uh, okay. Tim, Tim, I don't know him well enough, but he strikes me as someone who might hold some right-ish kind of views that people find offensive only because they're right-ish kind of views. So he probably thinks of, you know, like he probably has a problem with gender as a social construct and things like that. So um, I think he's probably far more conservative than Joe is. What I think put, or took the lawyer, and I can't pronounce her name, and I'm, I'm sorry. No one on the panel could, so don't worry about it. <laughs> so I'm calling her the lawyer, and it's not meant to be disrespectful. Um, I think it's Vita or, or something. Something. I think I got it wrong. Yeah. I'm gonna call her the lawyer. Okay. So I think what took her and Jack off guard was the fact that he was making arguments and points for both parties, both sides of the political spectrum. And I think they're like, oh wait, I thought we were gonna get, you know, we can figure out what side are you. How do we how do we form our argument, you know, to defend? Where he had really good. He meaning Tim had really good examples where everyone's getting screwed. Well, no, he uh, did He did tons of great research and he came very prepared. And I think that, you know, the legal counsel for Twitter also came with some preparation, but I think they were more focused on defending what they thought he was going to bring up. And when he did start to bring up issues on both sides, um, and he also was just very well studied because he could he would say, so this person got banned for this behavior, but this person who did similar, very similar behavior, but came from a different you know, uh, left versus right stance was permitted to get away with it. And I, yeah, I'm with you there. I think that that's, uh, that definitely threw them off because they weren't prepared to argue both sides of the coin. Yeah. Consistency frustrates everyone when there's something's not consistent, but then we also then go, Oh, we hate zero tolerance policies because, you know, which is completely consistent. It's zero tolerance. So, you know, I guess that's the left and right limit. You know, we have zero tolerance and then we have inconsistency on the on the other side. So um, we I guess we love to complain. Um, I don't know that there is a perfect solution. But what, again, I wish Twitter would acknowledge is there is a bias, I think, meaning if you're going to and this is all Tim's arguments. So I totally recommend listening to the 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 episode. But if you're going to say we're going to protect this group, you've made a decision, right? Wrong or indifferent, you've made a decision and there's bias. And then when you make hiring decisions, when you bring in vendors who do your content moderation, 
you are doing so with a bias that you may or may not be conscious of. And that infuses in there. So I, I really dislike when people say, well, I'm not biased. That's impossible. I don't think that's a option. Everyone is the sum of their experience. Right. right, wrong, or different. We can try consciously to say, well, I'd like to be impartial. But at the end of the day, you have subconscious bias that you you don't have a say over. What say you, Bob? Well, I, taking bias out of the equation, because I don't necessarily believe that bias came up too often with how they were um, how they were doling out punishments. You know, the, the legal counsel for Twitter made it quite clear that they were starting their framework for evaluating these things with their protections start with the already identified protected classes set up by the Supreme Court of the United States of America. Um, and the problem that, you know, that they were kind of bumping into with the conversations with Tim is that, yes, you can protect those classes, but then those protected classes can't perpetrate the same behavior in an outward direction away from their protected class. So he was having issues with that. You know, yes, those those classes should be protected because that's the law. But people who fall into those classes then again can't use, you know, inappropriate behavior to others outside of their protected class or even to those inside their protected class because that happens all the time as well. Um, one of the things that I thought was really interesting that didn't come up that I was really hoping that Joe would bring up, I know it was very Twitter-focused, but it would have been interesting to get the opinions of Jack and legal counsel about the new commenting rules that are in effect on YouTube, where if you leave an offensive comment on someone's video, that offensive comment could result in that video being demonetized, uh, could result in that account being shut down temporarily, you know, if it was their last strike for um, whatever they call those strikes that they have. So I thought that was interesting. Actually, I was really hoping that was going to come up. I might be crazy, but I thought they did talk about that. Mm. I thought Joe did bring that up. I wonder if I was not paying attention at that time. Then <laughs> it, it's it, it's a three hour podcast, so um, I'm pretty sure I dozed off at some point because <laughs> some of the arguments were on repeat. Um, but I'm just as bad because I can't tell you what the discussion or how the discussion went. So it may be worth a uh, a replay for both of us on that. Um, yeah, no, I think it's definitely rewatch worthy, re-listen worthy because they really covered some great, you know, great things to consider, not just how the technology impacts what's happening and how the technology might help mitigate. But I think we're both in agreement that that technology probably won't be able to mitigate at all. But they have to be able to flag, you know, before the human review. So it's going to take some kind of machine learning and some kind of AI that that's going to alert so there's a couple other kind of nougats of that's interesting. So one of them was hashtag learn to code. Apparently it was a uh, yes. scandalous thing recently that I had zero, zero, I had no idea what was going on. Twitter apparently banned a bunch of people, knee jerk and, and, and whatnot. So be careful on uh, what you're tweeting against because learn to code to me, if I would fall into my lap on my feed, I'd be like, yeah, learn to code retweet or whatever. I could have gotten banned. It seems like for, participating even though i didn't know what was going on right so basically that hashtag or that phrase got co-opted to be a derogatory statement or a derogatory commentary on a state of affairs with people losing their jobs is that i mean how did it yeah, get how did do, it get banned worthy though i missed that transition something to do with journalists i, I didn't either because this also kind of highlights 
people saying, well, this happened on this and so-and-so did this. And you just get this rapid fire of, I don't know, is anything what you're saying true or not? You know, this is, this is basically Alex Jones mode when people say, well, this happened, this happened, this happened, therefore this and this and this. And as a lay person, I'm like, am I, I don't, I don't know. Am I supposed to understand what the heck was going on and take it all as fact or just brain dump that out the back in the bit bucket? Well, here's the funny thing that kind of, it's not really about Alex Jones, but it riffs off of that is that Twitter and other companies who operate on the global scale, there's guidelines that they have to follow based on the geographic region where the platform is being consumed. And Tim had pointed out that there was a person who was using hate speech or had done something awful or whatever the case may have been. But in the country where that person resides, when that person is convicted or when it's, you know, when the punishment's handed down, that content also has to be removed from the Internet. And the person was still able to gain followers because a lot of a large percentage of those followers were unaware of the derogatory, inflammatory or just like out of bounds content that used to be on the Web. And Tim was kind of, you know, what's the responsibility there for the platform to make people aware that they might be following a giant turd of a human being? Yeah. And that comes back to never in the history of man have we had really a precedent on all of this. And so you got to give tech companies a little bit of a pass, you know, on some level, but the platforms are getting into their teenage years at this point. So at some point you got to say, okay, are we just chasing dollar and an investor approval or are we doing something about it or, you know, something along that level? So eventually I need Twitter and Facebook and Google and whomever to mature as a, as a product, as a company. And I'm not sure we have seen anything yet because all we get is the corporate answers of we can do better. Yes, we missed that. Yeah, it's all the things to deflate or take the animosity out of the room. But I don't, as Tim said, I don't know that we've solved anything yet. Glad to know that there's other podcasts that have that big revelation at the end too. <laughs> <laughs> They're stealing our formula, Bob. They all are. <laughs> You people, Joe. you listeners don't realize how, how almost right there Kevin and I are in the grand scheme of things, <laughs> or maybe you do. <laughs> and we appreciate that. Um, we're really going off platform for ourselves today. Now that I think of it. Yeah. Cause I had a topic ready and we're already 20 some minutes into this pod. So I think we just punt and well, call an audible. Well, we're also 23 minutes in and I haven't really identified a spot where we could even do our open. <laughs> yeah. So um, do we go open list for this episode? I think we put it right here. All right. Perfect. So are we flip, <laughs> are we flipping rolls today or? Yeah. No, no, no. I need to. I need you're the best in the business, Bob. I need you to. So you need to get back to here. you need to get back to uh, normalcy. I need right, to be just the guy who talks a lot of hot air. All right, let's do it. You are listening to the Bob and Kevin Show with Bob Beatty Bar and Kevin Gishesky. 
Each week, we cover relevant tech and social issues related to technology. And more weeks than not, we're joined by special guests to add additional perspective to our topics. Our website is bobandkevin.show. And our episodes can be found on virtually any podcast network. Be sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Just search for Bob and Kevin Show. today well we've already taken quite a lot of uh, our listeners time talking about the uh, joe rogan experience from earlier today or yesterday but i think the topic at hand that we wanted to discuss was uh encryption and intentional back doors at least that's the note that uh kevin had sent to me earlier in the week and he even gave me homework and uh, i think we're going to cover that and uh, I'm excited because I have no idea where that's going to go. So uh, I'm Bob from the Bob and Kevin Show, and that other guy over there is... I'm Kevin. All right. The New Year's resolution continues. He identifies himself. That's perfect. All right. So you gave me this paper. Um, it was interesting. So I did actually find time to kind of read it today. I'm, I'm not going to say I consumed it word for word, but I found it interesting because you sent it to me under the guise of a conversation about encryption and intentional backdoors. So I read the abstract of the paper, and the paper kind of alludes to that as well. But then in reading the paper, it's really almost just an introduction to encryption techniques and probably the two biggest ones that float to the top, and not really a whole lot of discussion in this paper about the backdoor ethics and aspects so if i was grading this published paper because i think this is a published (laughs) paper if i was grading if i was grading jennifer on this paper i'd probably give her a solid c minus and have her write it again well wow i didn't i didn't come prepared with a uh, (laughs) a grade for her but i think we should at least link to her uh article i thought it was pretty good myself um you're right it didn't necessarily answer the thesis um, too well is more of a, like you said, a high level and what would you do, you know, uh, type thing. But allow me this segue from our Twitter conversation into encryption. So one question that uh, on JRE they asked of Twitter is like, hey, do you have access to the direct messages? And they said? They said, kind of. Well, they, actually, they ended up saying yes. Yes, they do. So. The question then becomes, um, should those direct messages actually be more private? Meaning, if I send you a direct message, Bob, or if we have a group chat, should only the people who are intended be able to see that? Meaning, should Twitter be able to see those messages? And what say you? Well, I did kind of agree. So a lot of what they kept referring back to in the conversation was pattern of behavior. And um, they protected themselves or justified themselves by saying that sometimes they have to look at those direct messages because there could be evidence of, you know, ongoing bullying, whatever the case may be, the the negative behavior that this person is being accused of, which therefore could get them banned. And so they said that sometimes they have to look in those direct messages to either establish or refute that pattern of bad behavior. And that's kind of okay with that. But they're not encrypted at all, so that's not even part of the backdoor conversation, is it? It is not. So I'm I'm going to build build up our uh, discussion here. So we have uh, in this world an app called WhatsApp, which is 
been acquired by Facebook, and it uh, one of its features is is end-to-end encryption. So basically, if I do send you a message, Bob, the expectation is yes, only you can read that. However, comma, um, Facebook would love to know what's in those messages so they can scan it. You know, algorithms can pull out keywords and sell you something somehow. You know, but because that's their business. Um, and then the way WhatsApp works is there's got to be a key or encryption in general works. There's got to be a key. And, um, usually like asymmetric keys is we negotiate a key, uh, because asymmetric is inefficient and asymmetric encryption is very efficient. So really it's a two-step process. Let's use asymmetric, uh, encryption to negotiate a shared secret, then provide the shared secret to both of us. And then we'll use a more efficient algorithm, um, in the process. So, in all of that, the, the question is, is let's say I do something bad, Bob, and law enforcement has, has come in and they say, we, Facebook, we need access to Kevin's messages. We think he did something bad. You know, let's call it murder. Let's call it something really bad or whatever. So they go to Facebook and Facebook, and I don't know how, face, how WhatsApp's actually done. So either they store the keys in a key escrow, just in case law enforcement brings a warrant and say, yes, we can break that encryption. Or Facebook could turn around and say, no, those keys are not here. I would love to help you. Or maybe we don't want to help you. I don't want to say Facebook. This is, this is very reminiscent of the Apple San Bernardino thing. Right. Whether we want to help you or not, we don't have the keys. Right. Um, uh, you know, yeah. Um, you know, bad, bad things could be, it could be pedophilia. It could be all kinds of weird stuff. Of course, you know, I'm not tagging myself with any of that. I'm just saying, let's say it's something to that effect or terrorism and the investigators. You're going to get our podcast banned for just saying all those words right there. I know. Right. And there's, there's an algorithm waiting to ban us. Um, so let's say law enforcement has reason. They have reason to, and a warrant and they come to Facebook and they say, Blah. And Facebook um, could say either we have the keys in key escrow and here they are, or they could say, hey, we don't have these keys and you're going to have to find a different way. So the question becomes, should ethically a backdoor exist or something like a key escrow to aid law enforcement. So let's just start with that. I know I just shot you a bunch of information. So should there be a backdoor or a key escrow involved? Well, I think this boils down to if I'm a private company and I'm making a for-profit product, I pretty much get to set the rules. So you, you do, but it's a matter of ethics. So, you read that paper. That paper goes through the inevitability of if you put a backdoor in anything, it's innately flawed. Right. It makes and it less secure. No, sure. uh, right. And you can no longer guarantee that the conversation is between two parties because a backdoor exists. You don't know who's actually standing in the doorway. Right. Totally get that. So, and I don't want to put you on a spot and you we could change our opinion too. <laughs> I, to- I totally do. So you and I have had this discussion before, and I wanted to put out a competitor to WhatsApp because I really felt like I don't trust Facebook, and I wanted to have an app that basically competes with that. Turns out there's already an effort underway. It's called like Signal. You can Google it. Um, 
I think I sent you uh, uh, it's in my Twitter feed. So anyway, there, there's an app that's already doing it. So I don't want to duplicate that effort. It's okay. But it's okay the, to have more than one player in the marketplace, more than two players in the oh, marketplace. Absolutely. If we can build a better mousetrap, absolutely. But I, I don't know that the mousetrap that's already there is a bad one, you know, or right. can be improved. I'd have to look into it. So it's not a dead idea, but it's not looking good <laughs> for me to, to want to get in this market. But you and I had talked about this, Kevin, do you really want to make it easier for pedophiles to do their thing or terrorists to do their thing? And that really weighed on me. Not going to lie. Totally weighed on me because you and I have talked about this. Before. Yes. Well, I'm glad and it weighed I, on you because that was the intention. And I was like, damn, he's got a point there. Do I want my platform to be the reason X, Y, Z? Now you can reason that. Well, um, you know, the internet in general makes criminality possible. Crypto coin makes criminality possible. Yep. Should we not have the internet or crypto coins because bad guys or bad girls will use gals will use them um, in a nefarious way? And the, the answer is as well, the criminals will always find a way. Well, they use and regular they use regular currency. So currencies, currencies, currency. Right. So for me, the ethical question comes do by making an app that is difficult, if not very impossible to break and lowering the bar for pettier criminals or commoner, more, more common, not syndicates, you know, basically the neighbor, if I make it easier for him to, to share, you know, but why wouldn't the syndicate use your technology if it was that good? Well, that's true. But if they're like me and I can write it versus buy it. If, well, if I write it, I know what's in the code. I know there's no backdoors. So that's the problem, right? If, if you use my platform, if I use WhatsApp for my criminal enterprise, how do I know there's not a backdoor? I don't. Right. Right. The only way to guarantee that is to write that platform myself. And the, the big syndicates do because you could write your own chat app that's completely secure overnight. Why? I, how do I know? I've done it. Because you did. It's not that hard. <laughs> it's not that hard. Um, the the ethical part becomes if you make that publicly available, where anywhere anyone who has Google Play or Apple uh, Store can just download this, and and instantly I can have secure communications between me and my bad guy friends. Am I actually aiding in that? And I see an argument where. Yes, you are. But I also see the argument of, well, if you think that way, we can't have anything because cr criminals use com you know, cars. So should we not make cars? Because that makes it easier for people to rob banks. What do you think, Bob? Well, I, I, can, I can see where the argument could be taken to the absurd. However, everyone has access to a car, you know, it. Not everyone had access to a cell phone, but now they do. Right. But I guess it'd be like saying you're going to give the criminals a car that can go faster and drive more precisely than any other law pursuit out, vehicle. Outrun the, right, the cops. Right, right, right. So it's not just cars. It's a special car that is designed to outsmart, outwit, and outpace law. So that so would I be bad. A... That would be bad. That would be unhelpful for law enforcement. But I ran a Twitter poll and got very small sampling of reaction. And 
most people are like, no, privacy is a right. And you shouldn't trust the cops because there's no guarantee that the cops are the good guys. And I, I totally actually buy into that argument in a non tinfoil hat way. I know people who are in law enforcement who I wouldn't trust at all. And cause they come to the family reunion and I'm like, there's no way. And he's a cop, you know? So I, I get part of that. Um, I can't wait till there's robot cops that don't have any opinions. <laughs> RoboCop. <laughs> um, so I guess where I'm falling at, you know, it, it's the, it's the balance of the, the juxtaposition, if you will, of privacy between two people versus law enforcement and enabling being an enabler of crime by lowering the bar for these faster than police car cars. So where do you fall on the spectrum, Bob? I'm putting you on the spot now. The spectrum of should it be done? Should. So on one side you have privacy is a right. Right. And it, it, even if that means law enforcement can't get in and then on the other side, End of the spectrum is either we have a key escrow or a back door to allow law enforcement to come in with a warrant. But we haven't been we haven't been anywhere near privacy as a right for a very long time. Well, actually, well, well in the 1970s, well, there's a ton of laws in, that are on in the books, reality, so. though, in reality, though. Because your privacy was always being invaded. You were always being listened to. You were always being watched. Um now, back then, it was only if you were doing something suspicious or near suspicious people. Now it's a little bit more pervasive and more people can be watched simultaneously because we have the resources and the technology. But I go back to, you know, we've talked about this so many times in the past that I don't have an expectation, a realistic expectation of privacy. I can say that I, I'm closer to the privacy is a right spectrum, but... There's so many arguments, slippery slope arguments to be sure, but there's so many arguments for being able to not have a way to have 100% unen- unencryptable you know, conversations, communications. Um, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't end well if we're living in an environment where there's that kind of technology available. So six months ago, when we were first talking about this for however many months, I was definitely, no privacy is the right, sorry, law enforcement, pound sand. I'm no longer on that extreme, but I'm definitely left of center, if, if, if that's on the left side. I still think you should have the ability to not have the government listen, if that's what you so choose. Well, I think that's the pure ideal I just don't necessarily, how do you enforce that? Because, you know, you, you talk about the, you know, the, the law enforcement personnel that you run into in close proximity and that you may or may not have trust issues with. Think about that up to the government level. Somebody's making those calls. Somebody is, somebody's saying, oh yeah, this is hundred percent secure. The government's not listening. Hey, what, which hang on, I'm listening to this person over here. So the technology does exist, though, that you can ha- guarantee with a high level of confidence that nobody can decrypt your message. That technology does exist. It's just not the being mass qu- marketed. Um, well, I, I, 
catching the headlines, I think, especially today with Zuckerberg saying privacy is now our focus at Facebook, if you believe it, um, you know, there are, I think there's a acknowledgement that this should be a thing. The problem is, is it obviously flies in the face of business needs and goals, because if I, if I'm Twitter and I can read your direct messages, then um, I can do the, all these behavioral things, but I feel like it's an invasion. Like a direct message wasn't meant for even the hosting provider. So right. that's where these end to end encryption, it actually cuts out the hosting provider. But if Facebook says, yes, it's WhatsApp and it's end to end encryption, I don't believe them still because I still think there's a back door. So the only way for me to guarantee that it's an end to end for sure is me to write it, which is then I have the same problem that you could come to me and say, Kevin, I don't know if this is really what you're saying it is because you didn't write it. You did. And so we play this game of who do we trust? Well, and that's right to it right there. It's the trusted relationship. And so what happens is that, you know, relationships start as tiny circles and get bigger and overlap and all that kind of stuff. And where the one person who was the originally trusted source turns out really wasn't all that great a guy in the first place and uh, actually did write a backdoor into his secure communication protocol, even though he assured all of his close friends that it wasn't. And now everyone's using it. All the kids love it, think it's the greatest thing ever. And guess what? Kevin sells all your data because he's able to encrypt all the conversations and we're getting sunglasses ads in our Kev app feeds. <laughs> and celebrity so-and-so uh his or her uh inappropriate for work images are now somehow on the internet we don't know why well maybe because there was a back door all along so i'm, I'm trying to answer the question is a back door ethical and i would say no it's not but the problem is is if you go the purest route you are enabling bad people to do bad things and you're you're definitely scoffing at law enforcement are you not so it's unethical yet a core requirement for the platform <laughs> it well it i i think there's a mutually exclusive we have competing concerns here right if if you want privacy you have to lock out uh, the hosting provider so that you cut off the revenue stream essentially. And you also make it very difficult for law enforcement um, to solve a murder, for instance. So we have these competing concerns. So if you say, no, there's a back door or there's a key escrow, you basically have to tell your users it's, it's, you can't really advertise as a secure end to end encryption without saying, but we could get in there if we want, which isn't, you know, yeah, that's a violation of the trust you're trying to build with your users, right? I wish I cared enough to read the WhatsApp terms of service because <laughs> it would probably, it has to say if there's a key escrow or a backdoor, right? Does it? Question mark? No, it, no, I don't think they have any because the lay person won't know what the heck it means anyway. So why even put it in there and just all you got to do is say, yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't even have to address it. It could be just a bullet point on the website or the, or the download screen and you don't have to address it at all in the terms of service. You, you don't, I mean, you can just like totally ignore it. Right. Yeah. And this is another whole problem. I have this C minus paper that I'm looking at still again, because <laughs> 
Poor Jennifer. Yeah, sorry, Jen. Um, but she doesn't cover any of these scenarios. There's plenty of good, well, plenty of good math in here, though. But I'd like to think the co-hosts of the Bob and Kevin show are just that high quality of we think of these things. <laughs> That's what I want to think, at least. But if I'm writing a paper about the ethics of putting in a backdoor in an encryption algorithm, I'd want to explore the pros and cons of why you might and why you might not to determine the ethical dilemma. Well, what makes it an ethical dilemma is the competing concerns of law enforcement users and the platform provider. Right. They, but she doesn't, they have she doesn't different... mention that at all in her paper. So she I'm just, doesn't. I'm just so, saying. <laughs> uh, okay. I, I see where your grade is, is going here. Um, and then, but if, if 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 we take Jennifer out and and just say, okay, Jennifer, just you know, Bob and Kevin got this from here. Um, Bob, are you putting a backdoor into your WhatsApp clone? Yeah, okay. I am. And for me, I. Don't know. And that's a terrible answer. I am really conflicted on this because I want to say, no, that's that's wrong. Because putting a backdoor in anything means it's not secure. Period. End statement. Well, let's be 100% fair. Um, I'm probably never writing a WhatsApp clone because I'm just I don't have those chops. But um, this would probably be a good place to jump in and say the thoughts and opinions of the co-hosts of the Bob and Kevin show, Bob and Kevin are their thoughts only and not the thoughts of their past, present, present, or potentially future employers. So um, just to get that out of the way, I mean, we've all written, we've all, no, Kevin and I, the two of us have both written software pieces, whether they be content management systems, some kind of web-based apps, even desktop-based apps. And back in the day, they used to call it God level access. So it's not even like a back door. It's just that you have a master admin login where you see all the sub accounts. So, you know, and I've been involved in email software writing where, you know, been involved with a team, led a team that wrote email distribution software. And we saw all the lists that were cultivated by the different clients that used and so, you know, that's not really technically a backdoor, but we could have definitely used those powers for evil. So, I mean, this has been around forever. And if, if you're the evil person, you can download that database and take it with you when you quit, yep. you know, and, and, and who's tracking that? The short answer is nobody. And I should scare anyone who's, who doesn't realize that. Of course, you know, is it unethical? Yes. Is it illegal? Probably, actually. You know, well, to, yeah, but that's how most that of the data you. breaches happen. There's not a grand hack that's involved in most of these cases. It's disgruntled employees. Oh, no, Bob. Go ahead. No, no, no. All the, all the press releases I read say they were sophisticated hacks. What are you oh, talking about? That's, disgr- <laughs> that's disgruntled employees with database access that's more than they should have had in the first place, and they just created a dump, sold it to the black web. So in an ideal world, if I log into that database and I just look at the raw view or even I'm on this ma- this platform that you may or may not have written, but the one you're working on, we actually can't see the data being passed in a perfect world. And so 
Um, when Twitter says, yes, we can see your direct messages, I believe them for the exact reason you're saying. Facebook can see all, all of, you know, the, the direct messages. And when Twitter says, yes, we look at those to, de to determine behaviors, man, that's a really slippery slope now you're on because now you're reading people's intended private messages, inferring their intent and making decisions. And oh, by the way, your platform is uncontested and uncontestable in terms of competition. Good luck with that. Yeah, but then there's that whole thing where, all right, so I'm on this platform. I've never said an ill thing on the platform whatsoever in a public forum. Yet in private messages, I've said horrific, just like, you know, stuff that should never see the light of day. In the grand scheme of things, I'm a shitty human being. So if I slip and I let something sort of shitty go out on public platform, just because it's in my DMs doesn't mean that I should get to live as a good person if I'm a shitty person in real life. Like, if I'm a shitty person in my DMs, I should have to pay the price for that. So should, is the thought police and the Twitter police checking on you <laughs> and, and writing you a ticket when, when you do something shitty? I don't know. I just, God, can't we just all be nice and get along? <laughs> well, probably not. So... <laughs> <laughs> probably, probably not. not it's a short hit. i don't know if you know uh this about humans go, we love war and violence and we are destined to uh make ourselves extinct yeah um, i just hate that part <laughs> so so when i have an ethical dilemma when it comes to tech what do I do? I want to, I, I seek an objective opinion and a lot of times i get that from you but it ends up being you know you and I are just like, God, we don't have any answers. You know, our, sh our show in a nutshell, we don't have answers. <laughs> only, um, questions. So what, only so, questions. So what I do is I try to even get an even more objective opinion by asking my wife, honey, would it bother you if Facebook is reading your messages or would you prefer that we that they cannot, but the trade-off is, is neither can law enforcement if something bad were to happen and we can't look in the bad guys. Do you want to guess what she picked? Couldn't even throw a dart in the wind. Is that, okay. is that a saying? Good answer. <laughs> good, good, good answer. Very diplomatic, Bob. She chose, they should be able to read them. And as long as you're not doing anything wrong, what's to worry? Right, but that's the problem because someone is always going to do something wrong with that data. And this is really unwinnable. Right, <laughs> and right and wrong is not and is hasn't been and never will be a concrete answer. Right, who's right and who's wrong are we talking about at any given moment? Which is why artificial intelligent robots and machine learning should scare the hell out of everyone because it's it, you programming is concrete do this do that stop here go here statistically figure out how far you should move your car and turn the wheel to parallel park automatically but you know what we right and wrong is not concrete and it never will be it's in the eye of the beholder yeah so, but well, I guess remember beauty. we've had this conversation before too and we do this to our kids every single day like 
kids are basically our little AI projects. That's all they are. So, and t- taking it back to the JRE thing, so humans are what program algorithms. You cannot program an algorithm without injecting your bias right. into your code. Plain and simple. So, right, because you're um, going to give it a score. The score is going to be a range. So, like, if you're if you're sort of shitty, if you're on the low end of the range, then you kind of get a pass. But then, if the shittier you get, the more red flags go up. Well, that's you know, that's shitty you, according to cr- who determines shittiness factor. <laughs> you create an algorithm, and it takes inputs of let's call them hate words or flagged words, and so the algorithm itself may look. In, on GitHub, in code, as completely benign. Hey, if you see this word, do this. The problem is, is then those inputs change because somebody put the, a word in there and assigned a weight to it. There's your bias coming in. So the algorithm itself may not be biased. It's the inputs that are biased. And it's, it just gets so complicated. Um, and then to take it back to the encryption uh, in the back door, um, I think safe is putting backdoors in key escrows, perceived safety. Idealism is no, none of that, but you trade off safety. So it comes down to security versus safety, which I think there's plenty of cliches and wise words where you shouldn't trade off your security or, um, well, your privacy, I'm sorry, in, in security. That, you know, giving up some of your privacy for security is a bad idea. But I don't have the answer once again, but I'm definitely no longer standing on the idealism of privacy at all costs. Right. But I'm pretty close to the goalpost still. (laughs) I'm not going to lie. Yeah, I'm just glad I'm not writing software that would fall into this anytime soon, I don't think. (laughs) I think we are entering into an era of a quagmire of technology, if, if you will. Because if you look at the tr- your tech feed, you're like, we're going to have AI brushing our teeth and mowing our lawn robots soon. And we can't even we can't even figure out video platforms without just tying ourselves into logic knots. Yep. And we can't figure out 240 character or 280 or whatever it is without splintering into ethical discussions in one hour podcasts with with a couple of old dudes you know <laughs> trying to figure the answer we have gotten no closer we're just kind of like i guess i don't know figure it out yeah i'm seeing more articles or as many articles about ethics and ai as i'm seeing about ai these days so well, which is good, which means people are asking the questions. But I definitely think if you're an investor and you're just going, oh, yeah, blockchain, AI, you know, whatever, you might want to pump your brakes there a little bit. Well, but that's the problem, though. The industry is going full bore ahead and they're not taking into consideration these ethical conversations and ethical implications. So the, you know, once again, the social aspect of it, and I mean the social, like they're dealing with the people aspect of it, is coming far behind the technology. One thing that Jack brought up, which kind of is its own Pandora's box, is using blockchain with social media. So 
<laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> Proverbial eye roll here. <laughs> oh, that was a literal so, eye roll for me. So, so the idea would be is if you had free speech and you put it on the blockchain, and a blockchain's immutable. So once content's created, it's always out there. The problem is, is Twitter and other platforms, YouTube especially, they delete content. So if you consider putting it on the blockchain and now you have to delete content, are we saying we were trying to get consensus of the blockchain network to remove something? And that's, that becomes the, the voting system, the jury, so to speak, of whether or not content's offensive or not. And newsflash, here in America, we're about a 50-50 split on politics. So you only need 51% consensus to make any decisions. So does this mean we're headed towards a, well, for four years, this content can only be shown. Oh, that party got elected. So now all that content over there got deleted because now they have the 50 one percent and now we all get this content over there no that's like oh my the, gosh that's like the definition of fascism though because that's the majority telling the world the, the population what the truth is that's not cool well i don't i don't know if it's just fascist i think it's extreme because communism is the same way right right okay. yeah this yeah. is so it's it's the extreme on both sides so oh my gosh we need to write that dystopian uh movie script because <laughs> black mirror is life or art imitating life and life is about to imitate art if it hasn't already uh we're we're well on the we're well on the roller coaster ride to there to hell <laughs> uh so uh skynet really is just blockchain uh i think blockchain and twitter just, yep that's skynet yeah I've, I've decided that's totally it hey so on All a right. programming note next week uh, what's today? Say Wednesday. Yeah. So next week, this time, I will be probably hopped up on some kind of major painkiller because my surgery is Ooh. Tuesday. Ooh. Yeah, I I don't envy you, but I I wish you. We could try to do we could try to do a high one where I'm just like super <laughs> loaded on painkillers. See how it goes. Yeah. I think it'd be great. I, I'll, we'll need to pick a topic the, where, you know, I can, I don't know. The problem will something. be the sitting, though, because it's I'm having hernia surgery, so I don't know if I'll be able to sit in the booth here. I have to figure that out. I've got mic cables. I can figure it out. Yeah, so do the standing pod. It'll be a short pod, you know, or do the donut thing. Would that help? <laughs> sit sit well, on the donut. <laughs> It's now it's my stomach. It's not my butt. So Ooh, okay, All right. <laughs> thanks for that visual. <laughs> thanks hey, for you're the one. Who, on you're the one who brought up donuts. It's not hemorrhoid surgery. It's hernia surgery. Uh, all right, fair enough. Oof. Close. All right. So, so if Bob, you've hung in here we... this long, congratulations on getting the hernia and hemorrhoid talk. You know, if if there's AI that's going to scan us, we've got terrorism, pedophile, hemorrhoid, hernia. We've got some pretty good choice words in this yep. one. Yep. Thank goodness we're not monetized because this episode would not be able to do it. That's right. Okay, Bob. Uh, I think we just have one order of business left, and that is... To bring the lightning.